0: Well, we continue in our series here in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to carry this on the way through to Easter. And I've noticed, and and you probably have as well too. Maybe if you count out the Sundays that we have between now and and Easter, there are not enough Sundays to get all of the Gospel of Mark in. Actually, as in each chapter as well. I already said that I wasn't going to probably I wasn't going to preach uh, every verse and all that, and pick out portions of scripture from each chapter. Well. Now I'm finding difficulty trying to do that each chapter um, with the time restraint. So I'm looking at creative ways to try to remedy that situation. But uh, we are jumping ahead to chapter 2. And let me give you some highlights that will kind of help you along the way as far as chapter 1 is concerned. Just kind of, uh, you know, previously in the Bible. Um, we're going to take a look at, uh, bring us up to speed in the chapter 2. So in chapter 1. Jesus then is taken to the desert for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and uh, uh, and then then we find that John is put in prison, and uh, Jesus then calls his first disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, and he gathers them. Jesus goes on to teach in the synagogue at Capernaum, and uh, that's where he he, uh, drives out an evil spirit as well, and when that happens, the news about Jesus then spreads quickly all over the region of Galilee. He becomes known uh, quite well. And then Jesus heals many people. Uh, they traveled to Simon's mother's place. And when they got there, uh, Simon's mother was uh, sick with a fever. And so Jesus came in, healed her from the fever. And, and then she got up and she just started serving the people there. So uh, a hospitality person, when a person's a servant and all that, I guess you can't keep them down too long. But uh, uh, so she started doing that. And then people started bringing the sick and demon possessed to Jesus right there at that place. And he healed those people. And then we find that Jesus uh, goes and finds some solitary place to pray, get alone with the Savior. And that was uh, get alone with his father. And that was a thing that uh, happened regularly. to get alone with his father and pray and have that quiet time. And uh, but it wasn't very long because people were looking for him. And uh, so he continued to preach throughout Galilee, and he drove out demons, he he continued to heal the sick, and he even healed a, a man with leprosy, and then the man spread the news about Jesus, even though Jesus said, don't tell anybody what just happened. And it spread all over the place, and because of that, Jesus had to stay outside of the areas in lonely places, and people came to him then, because he could no longer go into the cities without being mobbed by everyone, and so that... That was occurring at that point. And then we get to the point in chapter 2 where uh, Jesus heals a paralytic who is lowered down from the the, the rooftop. You probably recall that four friends came over and the guy couldn't get inside the house to be able to uh, get to Jesus. And so they devised another plan to get up on top of the roof and they cut a hole in the roof and they lowered him down and right in front of Jesus right there. And he healed that paralytic right there. And the thing is, is that he said a phrase that caught the Pharisees and teachers of the law, a little in a, in a bind, um, he said, your sins are forgiven to the paralytic. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees and, Saddu- and teachers of the law were like, hmm, I don't know if you can do that. How can you say that? And then Jesus said, you know, is it, it what's what's easier to do? Your sins are forgiven? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or you are healed? And he said, because you don't believe, and you know, he turned to the paralytic and says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk, and you are healed. And he did, and everyone was like, whoa. <laughs> and so it, it shut up the the Pharisees at that moment, but not not for uh, uh, for long. And he also then spent time with Levi, as we know as Matthew, the tax collector, and uh, he, of course, the writer of uh, one of the Gospels. And uh, so Matthew started following him, and then he had Jesus had dinner over at Matthew's house. And Matthew invited all his friends, and his friends were, of course, tax collectors and everyone else that people did not really like or associate with. Tax collectors were awful uh, people to associate with, apparently. And uh, the, there was some grumbling going on about that. It's like, well, was Jesus spending time with sinners and the tax collectors? Uh, how, how come he's associating with those kinds of people and uh, he turned to them, knowing what was in their heart, what they were thinking. He turned to them, and he said, you know, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And so he was there among the sick be able to, be, to bring healing and encouragement and, of course, uh, new life to them. And then Jesus is, is uh, questioned about fasting. Um, the, John's, John's disciples were, were fasting, and people took note that they were fasting, but Jesus' followers were not. How come this isn't a regular occurrence? What's going on? And uh, and Jesus was making sure that people understood that I'm. He said I'm. I'm with my people. John's not, and so they are fasting for him. My people are with me and my followers. And so when I'm with the 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 bridegroom, does not need to fast when the bride is there. <laughs> you know, and, and all that. And so it was coming together in a way where people were going get a little disgruntled about what was going on, and Jesus let them know that. Their fasting was not needed because it wasn't a time of uh, mourning. It was a time of rejoicing. Which then brings us to our portion of Scripture today in chapter 2, starting with verse 23. Now, did you know that almost every state has surprising laws in their books? Some very strange laws. For instance, in Alabama, Lyra, in Alabama... It's illegal to drive while blindfolded. Did you know that? Only in Alabama, evidently. In Arizona, and I don't get this, but in Arizona, it's Ill- I kind of understand, but I don't know why it needs to be law. It's illegal for a donkey to sleep in a bathtub. I don't get that. There's something behind that, I'm sure. In Arkansas, you, you can't honk your horn near a sandwich shop after 9 p.m. Maybe some people around that sandwich shop that had homes were not really happy with people honking. Maybe who knows why they'd be honking in the first place. And in California, uh, probably more, more likely in Berkeley Square, it's illegal to whistle for a canary before 7 a.m. <laughs> okay. Must have some really loud whistlers out there. And uh, <laughs> in Delaware, in Delaware, you can't sell cat or dog hair. So my question is, who would want to buy the cat hair and dog hair? I, uh, anyway, in, uh, <laughs> and here we go. Um, in, in Hawaii, I don't know, Arlen, Marcel, or even Laura, if, if this is something that you recall or not, but in Hawaii, it's illegal to put a coin in one's ear. So remember that, and when you go back, uh, visit. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> in Illinois, and hopefully Linda's not doing this, It's against the law to make a face at a dog. (laughs) I don't get that. I don't get that. Just the other day, I was doing yard work in the backyard, and our neighbor dog got through the fence and all and came around a 10-year-old chocolate lab. Adorable, adorable girl. and, And she comes on over and wags her whole body as she's coming towards me. And she's got this big grin. She just, me? And I said, Oh, how are you doing? She's just like, I was like, Ugh. <laughs> It's all scary, all the teeth, but she was being very happy. She was making a face at me, so I don't know if that matters. Um, <laughs> in Indiana, citizens are not allowed to attend a movie within four hours after eating garlic. That's good. I get that one. I understand that. I understand that. Oh, and I'll keep this one in mind if Becky and I are ever in Iowa. In Iowa, A man with a mustache is forbidden from kissing a woman in public. Go figure. I don't don't get that one either. (laughs) And this is under the category of what? In Kentucky, a woman cannot marry the same man four times. In Missouri, and I don't get this one either, I would never want to do this. Bear wrestling is banned. <laughs> if, you're, if you're wrestling a bear, you're in trouble in the first place, but I don't know, maybe both bears wrestling, possibly. And uh, sorry, Elizabeth Zinn. I know the Zins like, uh, like to have uh, pets and certain pets, but in Montana, it's illegal to give a rat as a present. Can't do that. I know they had a rat as a, as a pet before. Um, <laughs> and here's another one. You kind of go, okay, in New Jersey... Bulletproof vests are banned while committing a crime. I don't get that either. This one made me laugh. In New Mexico? (laughs) Idiots are banned from voting. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) Ugh. And in Oregon, here's another one. In Oregon, I didn't know this. In Oregon, it's illegal to go hunting in a cemetery. What are you hunting? <laughs> and in Texas, we'll keep this in mind because we're heading off to Texas today. We're heading on down, um, Becky and I. Brianna's taking a look at a couple colleges. But in Texas, <laughs> you can't sell a human eye. We'll keep that in mind while we're down there. Make sure we don't do that. And here's one that's kind of might put a little chuckle in your, your heart. In Vermont, it's illegal for women to wear false teeth without their husband's approval. Uh-huh. And in West Virginia, no member of the clergy is allowed to tell jokes or humorous stories from the pulpit. I'm in trouble if I'm over there preaching. Now we may laugh, and, and, and or maybe even groan at some of these things, uh, out-of-date out laws, because of many of them seem pretty silly and pretty ridiculous. But if we were to list all the rules, all the expectations, and, and, and all the laws that are on the books in some churches today, <laughs> chances are we'd stop laughing pretty quickly. Most of these religious regulations are not written down, but some of us attempt to keep them, or expect others To do so, who's sitting in my pew today, (laughs) right? Spiritual growth can be stunted or even choked to death by the weeds of legalism. Legalism can be defined as a strict adherence to the law, a strict adherence to the law. And specifically as it relates to faith, a legalist is one who believes that performance is the way to gain favor with God. You do, you, you work to get salvation. Legalism is the human attempt to gain salvation or prove our spirituality by outward conformity to a list of religious do's and don'ts. Following that those rules, following the list, and we'll be good to go. Now, before we get to uh, this portion of Scripture in Mark chapter 2, let me share some observations about legalism. And maybe they might hit on you a little hard and you might be thinking, well, okay, might need to make some changes. One observation is others are legalistic while we are not. <laughs> others are legalistic while we are not. The fact is, we're all legalistic by nature in some way. We tend to judge others by our own standards of what is acceptable and what isn't. There's a tendency to think or our sins smell better Than other people's sins. We have a a very little tolerance for people who sin differently than we do. Also, another observation about legalism, legalism is highly contagious, highly contagious. Legalism can spread like a bad virus through an entire congregation. You thought COVID or Omicron was awful. Let's try legalism. So all you need is a few people to agree on these things and off it goes. Legalism can cause a vibrant faith to become dull and and lifeless. It can destroy enthusiasm and joy and and spirituality as well, too. Instead of finding freedom through Christ, many believers are living with great burdens because of things they have to do and not do. (laughs) Legalism produces self-righteousness and judgment, Legalism produces self-righteousness and judgment. Emphasizing guilt and misguided sacrifice, legalism urges its followers to evaluate their relationship with God on the basis of standards and scores. How well are you doing? How high did you score in this area? And expects others to do the same. Superficial spirituality short-circuits the work of grace. And legalism makes us narrow and divisive. The legalists insist that everyone live up to the standard they have adopted. In other words, everyone needs to be like me. And then they got it just right. When we think this way, we miss the enjoyment of diversity in the church. And then also legalism makes it impossible for people to see Jesus. There is nothing that pushes a non-Christian away faster than a list of rules and regulations. There's a danger to inadvertently portray Jesus as a drill sergeant instead of a loving Savior. And Sabbath was a big deal in the Old Testament. At the time of Jesus, Jewish leaders had established 39 Sabbath clarifications. And each of those had multiple subdivisions, just on the Sabbath, making over over 1,500 prohibitions. And here's just a few of them. It was unlawful to kill a flea that lands on your arm, because that would make you guilty of hunting on the Sabbath. If a man's ox fell into the ditch, he could pull it out. But if a man fell in, he had to stay there. You could dip your radish in salt, but if you left it there too long, you were pickling it and therefore working. You could only eat an egg. <laughs> it sounds like one of the laws in the state. You could only eat an egg that had been laid on the Sabbath if you killed the chicken for working on the Sabbath. Does that make sense? It was okay to spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but you couldn't spit on the ground because that made mud, mud was mortar, and that was work. All these things were listed down. And the Pharisees attacked Jesus about the Sabbath six different times in the the Gospels. Five of them have to do with Jesus healing on the the Holy Day, and one has to do with the behavior of Jesus of the disciples, which we're going to be looking at here today in Mark chapter 2. So with all that background, let's look at this portion of Scripture in chapter 2, towards the end of the chapter, uh, verse 23 through 28. One Sabbath, he was going, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you ever, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He he and those who were with him, Now he uh, and how he entered the, the house of, of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which, is, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So I'm going to borrow a a three-word outline from another pastor that helps us see the flow of, of this account here that we just read. Those three words, accusation, answer, and then application. Accusation, answer, and application. So first of all, the Pharisees and other religious leaders are ramping up their accusations against Jesus, as we see here in verses 23 and 24. They were offended when Jesus forgave sin, and they were really upset when the disciples of Jesus weren't fasting. And if you look a little bit closer, at verse 23, you see, one again, one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. So While they're there there were main roads in Israel. It was quite normal and common to cut through fields to get to where you wanted to go. While foreign to us, if you were hungry, it was okay to pluck the ripe grain, rub it in your hands to break open the the husks, and and then eat the kernels as you went on your way. This wouldn't go over well today if someone cut through your backyard and stopped to pick your fruit or things out of your garden or something like that. In fact, We've had people <clears throat> up and down our road here, have people come and stop at our apple tree and our pear tree and actually start picking stuff off the trees. And we're like, hey. And then I think, well, that's probably okay. <laughs> Just don't climb in the tree. Okay. But uh, you get this feeling like, wait a second. But then during these days and in, in that time, it was, it was fine. People come through, go ahead and take some food all along your way and be able to do that. This practice in Israel served as a, a public welfare system, so no one would go hungry. And all of this was perf- perfectly perfectly lawful since uh, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25 says, If you go into your neighbor's uh, standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So <laughs> if, if you drove a harvester through your neighbor's field, you might have some problems there. <laughs> you couldn't do that. But you could eat what you wanted while you're walking. In addition, farmers were, were to leave grain standing in the corners of their field after harvest. So the, the marginalized could be able to have some dinner. And notice that the Pharisees don't attack the disciples for eating the grain. They don't accuse them of stealing. They do accuse them of harvesting and threshing which in their minds was work on the Sabbath. In Luke chapter 6, verse 11, a, a parallel passage to this portion of scripture in, in Mark. Luke chapter 6, verse 11 says, His disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. So, rolling the grain to remove the, the husks were, was considered sifting, rubbing the kernel was threshing, eating was grinding and tossing the shaft in the air was winnowing. So they were basing all of this on the work that they were doing. They were basing all this on Exodus chapter 34, verse 21, which says, Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. Well, apparently they weren't resting. They were working because they were doing all that in the fields there. Now, we don't read that Jesus is... His eating he probably was as well too but the Pharisees hold Jesus responsible for the behavior of his followers. this was actually a common un, uh, understanding in that culture this is actually uh, what the rabbis were held to with his, with their disciples if a rabbi's disciples did did something wrong the rabbi himself was held accountable. Now, maybe you probably have experienced that as a parent and your child um, did something wrong or whatever. You had someone come to you and say, did you know what your child just did? And that's what these Pharisees are doing. They're coming to Jesus and said, did you know what your disciples are doing? How come? You're teaching them. You're showing them. You're giving them lessons. Why are they doing this? So this was a common uh, procedure of people who had a Uh, Problem with what was going on, you know, and it's good for us to maybe pause for a moment and realize that uh, our behavior, our behavior uh, uh, Reflects either positively or negatively on the Lord We need to keep that in mind Whatever we say or do people are going to go. That's the God you serve Okay and look at verse 24, it says, And the Pharisees were, were saying to him, Look, why are, you, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So again, going to Jesus about the disciples. It's your fault. You kind of get the sense that these religious guys are following the followers of Jesus all around, just looking, looking to pounce on them, looking for them to mess up, catch them on something that they're doing wrong kind of serving as religious traffic cops. (laughs) These Pharisees were waiting to write out tickets about Sabbath breaking. They're basically charging them and Jesus with breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus wanted everyone to know that doing what is good surpasses Sabbath keeping. The Sabbath was intended to be a special sign between God and His His covenant people. And there are two main purposes behind Sabbath observances in in the Old Testament. One was rest, the other one was rhythm. Rest and rhythm. And the rest, the the word Sabbath comes from sabbaton, which literally means a cessation from labor, uh, to desist from exertion. So you stop, you rest. And then the rhythm, God set up a rhythm of work and a rhythm of rest. There's a rhythm to that. Some of us are kind of out of rhythm, out of sync sometimes with that. I know I am. I know I am. But Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 and 10 says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And then in verse 11, that same portion of Scripture, the model for Sabbath rest is is what's found in, in creation. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So you have the Pharisees accusing and bringing accusation to Jesus and His disciples. Then in verses 25 and 26, we see an answer. Jesus refuses to argue with their accusation, but instead appeals to Scripture show there is biblical evidence that compassion is more important than the commandment. He's actually rebuking them when he says in verse 25, Have you never read? <laughs> Very interesting. He loved to answer questions with a question. And we must always, though, we must always go back to the Bible when someone us, questions us about what we do and who we follow. But Jesus did this often. Answered a question with a question. Just two examples from Mark chapter 12. In verse 10 it says, have you not read this scripture? And in verse 26, he exposes the Sadducees and he says, is this not the reason you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? It's like coming up to someone and saying, Don, didn't you read that verse at all? Don't you understand that that's wrong? Kind of hits them right between the eyes. In Mark chapter 2, though, verse 25 and 26, Jesus takes them back to an incident found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, in the first six verses there. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. So Jesus is referring to David, who is someone who, who they certainly respect and honor. King Saul was pursuing David, which is very similar to Jesus who is in the line of David and is being pursued by the Pharisees, because he's trying to draw some similarities here, and David's companions, who are hungry, you can probably call them disciples, who were also looking for food. David asks a a priest for some help and is told that the only bread is the holy bread, also called the showbread, or the bread of of the presence. And and this, this showbread was 12 loaves of bread, To represent the 12 tribes of Israel, and they were baked fresh every Sabbath day. (laughs) And you can take note that it would have probably been considered work by the Pharisees, but uh, every Sabbath day, you can probably just smell the fresh bread through there. The loaves were placed on a table in the holy place in the tabernacle to remind Israel of the Lord's presence and their dependence on Him for their daily bread. This bread was replaced every Sabbath, and the old bread was then eaten by the priests. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 9, says that no one was allowed to eat this bread except for Aaron's descendants, who served as priests. But in this case, the priest gave David and his hungry men this bread. So here's, here's the principle in all this that Jesus is trying to bring out human needs exceed. Religious rituals. Human needs exceed religious rituals. There are times when human needs are more important than a legalistic keeping of the law. And here's the argument. If David and his disciples were allowed to violate a rule, then Jesus could allow his disciples to violate an unbiblical regulation on the Sabbath. And in David's case, it was not the mere question of picking some grain, but the more serious charging of eating the bread of the presence. The point is that even though it was theoretically illegal, God didn't rebuke David. So how much more is it okay for Jesus' disciples to eat though they were not breaking the law? So God is more concerned with meeting people's needs than He is with protecting traditions. In Matthew's account, Jesus' heart of mercy and compassion kind of come to the surface. Matthew chapter 12, verse 7. Says, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Love for others is more important than legalistic stubbornness. Rules are rules. Not all. What would you think if a young man came in here in the sanctuary wearing a hat to church? Had a hat on, baseball hats, maybe the Dodgers, I don't know. Come walking in here, he's got a baseball hat on. How many of you might be a little bothered by that? Would you think that maybe he's being disrespectful coming in the house of the Lord with a hat on? Everyone takes a hat off when you come in. What's going on? Well would it be easier to give grace if you found out that uh, he has alopecia and was embarrassed because all of his hair was falling out so he wore that hat would it then be okay with you if you if, if he wore a hat ritualistic rules can crush compassion human needs exceed religious rituals <laughs> what about the pastor I read about who was preaching in church one Sunday when he noticed a teenager up in the balcony texting on her phone during the entire sermon. He found himself getting quite upset even while he was preaching, and he couldn't believe how rude she was being. It made him want to call her out, but he held his tongue behind the pulpit here. After the service, he made his way over to over to her and ready to tell her what he thought of her tenacious texting during his sermon. Just before he corrected her, he overheard her tell someone that she was really sad that her friend didn't come to church that morning. When she realized that her friend wasn't going to make it, she decided to text the sermon in real time to her. She was helping a friend learn about Jesus while the pastor was being judgmental and legalistic. Human needs exceed religious rituals. And then we come to the application. Verses 27 through 28. After their accusation, Jesus gives an answer and then concludes with two applications. He first says the Sabbath was given to serve us. Sabbath was given to serve us. In verse 27, Jesus cuts through the religious rules and rituals to the reason behind the giving of the Sabbath. In verse 27, and he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, which came first, man or the Sabbath? If you go back to Genesis history and, and, and read scripture there, man was made on the sixth day, Sabbath came on the seventh day. Which was made for which? Hmm. The Sabbath was given to people out of the grace of God. It was designed to be a blessing, not something to hold us in bondage. We could say that the Sabbath was given to serve man, not something that we must serve. This day of rest was to be a time of of refreshment, not a a day of restriction, not a duty, but a delight. Unfortunately, because the religious leaders had added a bunch of laws and rules and regulations to it, it had become burdensome. In the very next chapter, Jesus asked a question that probably unsettled the religious guys in verse 4. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent, it says. Here's a helpful question to ask yourself to see if any religious rules or, or legalistic limitations have taken root in your life. The question is, is this practice a benefit or is it leading to bondage is it a benefit or do i feel like i'm in bondage to it it's a great way to be able to evaluate if that uh, legalistic limitations are creeping in and then we see uh, the other application that uh, we need to serve the one who is sovereign over the sabbath serve the one who is sovereign over the sabbath we see this in verse 28 it says so the son of man is lord even of the sabbath And that title, Son of Man, is messianic, meaning it was used of the Anointed One, the Coming One, to free God's people. The Pharisees would have recognized what Jesus was saying, but just in case they didn't get it, Jesus uh, boldly uh, declares in bodily form refers to himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. And when he does that, Jesus is declaring himself as sovereign God as well. The title, Lord, refers to the one whom all things belong, kind of like an owner. So Jesus has authority over the Sabbath because He is the Almighty God. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 6, a parallel passage to this portion of Scripture, Jesus puts it this way. He says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Jesus is sovereign over the Sabbath. He owns it and redefines its purpose. It's far more important to have a relationship with, with Him than to follow a bunch of rules and regulations. When Jesus says He is the Lord of the Sabbath, he is, he is the Sabbath. He has authority over the Sabbath and over everything and everyone. That means the disciples can do whatever He directs them to do. After healing a man on the Sabbath who had been an invalid for 38 years, the Pharisees were furious with Jesus. They knew that He was declaring His sovereignty over the Sabbath, and it really bothered them. We see this clearly in, in John chapter 5, verse 18. It says, For this reason they tried all the more to kill Him. Not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. Well, hopefully you realize that Jesus is the only way to have rest, because Sabbath is all about rest. And instead of busily following a list of legalistic rules and and, and working to be accepted by God, it's time to believe and rest in your acceptance. If you look at Hebrews chapter 4, the first three verses, it says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, for we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest. So the, the promise of temporary Sabbath rest was really a picture of the eternal rest that Christ provides. Once we put our faith in Christ and believe in Him, we, we will find the, the only rest that can satisfy our souls. In Hebrews chapter four, verses nine and 11, nine through eleven, it says there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So have you received that rest, or are you, are you banking on a list of, of burdensome rules? When it, all, when it comes, comes to heaven, you only have two options. <laughs> when it comes to heaven, you only have two options. You can try to work your way in, which never never works, or you get in by the work of another. We must rest from all efforts. To be saved by our own works, because in Christ we find a total rest. Look at it this way rest is all about satisfaction and completion. Satisfaction and completion. God the Father finished his work of creation and then rested in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. He was so satisfied with his work that he could sit back and declare that it is good. Jesus completed his work when he said, it is finished. And we can only find satisfaction when we rest in the work that has been finished for us on the cross. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light it's time to stop striving it's time to stop striving and cease trying to measure up to god's standards trying to work towards that it's time to enter his salvation rest right now no more work needs to be done it's already been done so what can you do about all this what is it, Pastor Jim, that I need to be doing? How can we put this into practice? Let me give you some, some help. First of all, receive the rest that only Christ can give you. That's what you can do. Receive the rest that only Christ can give you. If you persist in working, if you feel like you just have to do something, then think about these words from Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 29. The work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. If you want to do some work, that's some work you can do. Believe in the one he has sent. Another thing you can do uh, for application, submit to the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. If you have not yet, I encourage you to do so. If you haven't fully surrendered, it's time. Today's the day. Another way you can apply apply all this uh, to your lives, set apart a day for worship. Set apart a day for worship. The principle behind Sabbath is to take a day to establish a rhythm and establish rest, establish a, a refreshment and renewal in your life. Set apart a day for that. And one other thing you can do as far as application of this message, lift love over legalism. Lift love over legalism. One way to do that is by looking to understand others before being understood. If you look to understand others before being, uh, trying to look to, for others, being, others to understand you, you'll be able to get into where they're at with this. you understand maybe a little bit more where they're coming from, why they're wearing the hat in the sanctuary, why they're texting from the balcony of the church. Lift love over legalism by trying to understand them before demanding that they understand you being offended. Try to understand them. Operate out of mercy and grace, knowing that love transcends legalism. Gonna have the worship team come on up. They're going to lead in a couple songs. And as they do, I just trust that God continues to work on your, your heart and, 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 and helps you understand that we need to separate from the legalistic uh, uh, entrapments, (laughs) be able to realize that grace covers us all and compassion is something we need to give for others. Operate out of mercy and grace. Lift love over legalism. If you need to come and pray, altars open if you want to do that as we lead you in these two songs.